Well, good morning, family. How are we all doing today? Doing well? You ready for a sermon from Jesus this morning? All right, well, before we do that, before we dive into his sermon that I'll be stealing from him this morning, I want to remind us that we're in a series called Next Steps. It is eight steps, eight what I believe are essential practices that Jesus teaches us in order to live the life that he desires that we should live. And before we enter into a series of sermons on eight steps and things that you should do, I want to make sure that you don't start turning these into things that they aren't. Namely, a lot of times when you come to church and they tell you something you should do, you start to feel the joy sucked out of your life, right? Isn't that what happens? We get this, especially for us list keepers, we like make another list and here's eight more checkboxes that Pastor Matthew now gave me in order to live the life that I'm supposed to live when I think the life that I should live has far fewer checkboxes. I want to remind you that every one of these steps is for your joy. Jesus came and said, I have come so that you would have a rich and satisfying life. I have come so that you might have my joy and that you might have my joy to the full. Who wants the kind of joy that Jesus has? Okay, that's what this is about, joy. It's about joy in the Bible, digging into the Bible. That's what we learned two weeks ago, that there is a joy of discovery. There is a joy of information. There's a joy of revelation and knowledge of Jesus in this book. This morning is gonna be about discovering the joy that you get to talk to God. Amen. <laughs> you get to talk to God. You get to have conversation with him. You get to hear from him in this word and then speak back to him. Which leads to the second important thing that I want you to understand this morning. And it is this. You will not be able to make substantive change in all of these eight steps in the next eight weeks. Okay, so let me just free you from that right now. All right, what I want you to do right now in this right this very second is to start to ask the Father to reveal to you through the Holy Spirit what he has for you in each of these steps. You see, as the preacher here, I cannot possibly apply every particular scripture and every particular step to every particular person in this room. That would be absolutely impossible. In addition to all of those that are on the live stream. I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to do that, and I want you to trust the Holy Spirit to do that too. So I think that the Bible and prayer, as I've said already a few times, are absolutely fundamental and foundational because they are our bread and our breath to live as Christians, and all the other essential practices flow from them. So you're going to need to ask God about those. Like, Father, what do you want me to do that I may not be doing in relationship to your word? Maybe you're only reading the Bible three days a week. Maybe it should be five. Maybe that's what he wants you to do. Maybe you only read for five minutes. Maybe he wants you to take 10 instead. Maybe this morning as you hear about prayer, maybe you don't pray all the time or you don't have extended seasons of prayer. Ask the Father, Father, what do you want me to do in response to the teaching of Jesus and the life of Jesus in each of these steps? And I absolutely trust that he's gonna do that for you. He will answer that prayer. All right, so those are the two foundational provisos. These are about joy, and they're not about what I think you need, but you asking God, what do I need? 
All right? We clear? All right, let's dive in to this particular text. Without question, the most famous sermon in the history of sermons is probably Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Of this sermon, one of my favorite dead guys, the pastor himself, John Stott, said of this sermon. The Sermon on the Mount is the most complete delineation anywhere in the New Testament of the Christian. Here is the Christian value system. You, you can find the sermon in Matthew 5 through 7. Here is the Christian ethical standard, religious devotion, attitude to money, ambition, lifestyle, and network of relationships. It is the nearest thing to a manifesto that Jesus ever uttered, for it is his own description of what he demanded his followers to be and to do. And this Christian counterculture is the life of the kingdom of God, a fully human life lived out under divine rule. Well, if you listen to Stott already, we see a connection to two weeks ago in Matthew's story of Jesus being tested by the Spirit and tempted by the devil in Matthew 4. For there we learned that he turned to every word that comes from the mouth of God in order to orient himself in the story, to under, understand his place in the story, to understand how to live. Jesus himself oriented himself to the words of God so that he would live the life that God wanted him to live. And now Jesus does what no other person can do. Namely, he adds to the words of God because he is God himself. And so over and over again in this sermon, he says, you have heard it said, in other words, all those things that we read in the Old Testament, but I say to you, you've heard it said, but I say to you, I say to you, I say, you see that all through this sermon, so that now in response to Jesus, we can say, we also cannot live by bread alone. But by every word that comes from the mouth of Jesus. For in this sermon, we are able to understand our place in this story. Here are the words that must shape our lives, to which we must orient our whole lives. This sermon from Jesus, so that we may truly live. And so, if that's what we're supposed to do, what are some of those words? Well, here is merely a sampling from his sermon where he is showing us how to live in the way of Jesus himself. Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine. He's speaking to you now. If you believe in Jesus, if you're a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, this is for you. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Matthew 5.20, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5.22, I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Matthew 5.28, I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent 
intent, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Matthew 5.39, I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you on US 50, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Matthew 5, 44, I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Matthew 6, 14, if you forgive others their trespasses, then your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, neither will your Father forgive your sins. Matthew 6, 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Matthew 6, 24, you cannot serve God and money. Matthew 6, 25, do not be anxious about your life. Matthew 6, 34, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Matthew 7, verse 1, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you don't see the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you have a beam coming out of yours? You hypocrite. First pull the beam out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of yours. Or how about this? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And then his conclusion, Matthew 7, 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. The rock of what? The rock of my teaching, of living like this. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Don't forget what John Stott said. Here, and I just gave you a sampling Here is the standard. Here is what Jesus commands from you in your living. Confirmed by his conclusion. Do these and you will not fall. Do not do them and great will be your fall. So here's the thing, fam. If we're honest, if we read this sermon closely and we see this kind of standard, Honestly, it should freak us out. It should be like when men come to Ephesians 5 and they hear, love your wife as Jesus loved the church. I mean, that is a high standard. Matthew 5 to 7 is an incredibly high standard to live as a disciple of Jesus. It's your job description. I I don't know about you, when I look at it, it seems almost unaccomplishable. 
No one is capable by himself or herself of even approaching the quality of life characterized by the Sermon on the Mount. No one. And in one sense, I think that is partly the point that Jesus is making. Because don't miss this. Don't miss when you're looking at this job description, if you will, that no one is capable of doing this alone, that right in the very, near the very end of this sermon, Jesus nestles in this teaching on prayer. I think Jesus piles up so much in his teaching, one, because of course it is what it means to be truly human, and two, because it means that you must do this in utter dependence on God. The words of God are meant to drive you to the person of God. The words of God are meant to drive you to the person of God. You see, I don't think that we can look at these words and see them as merely a way to turn over a new leaf. I mean, really? Do you think yourself capable of Matthew 5 to 7 on your own? Rather, I think we are meant to look into the mirror of this sermon from Jesus to see our own spiritual bankruptcy. And then what? What are we supposed to do? Well, Jesus tells us what we're supposed to do is talk to God. You see, now that we've been shattered by the requirements of a disciple, we're ready to hear one of the most important of all practices for a disciple of Jesus. One that is a pathway to growing one step closer to him and the abundant life and the joy-filled life and the promise of the goodness and beauty that are meant to be a part of all of our lives by following the Sermon on the Mount. And it's talking to God. Matthew 7, verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So I think we see in this first section of Jesus' teaching in verses 7 to 8, as Dustin read for us, prayer is persistent. And to see this, you have to really understand that the verbs that you see in verses 7 and 8 are actually present active imperative verbs in the original language. So in other words, you could translate them this way. They're commands, right? Keep on asking and it will be given to you. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and it will be open to you. So what Jesus is doing here, and I love this about Jesus, is he's teaching us both a command and a promise that goes right along with that command. Keep on asking and it what? Say it, will. It will be given to you. So listen, there is a sense in which we can talk to God about anything. But we should be asking Jesus right now when he says, keep on asking and it will be given to you. What's the it? What are we supposed to be asking for, Jesus? 
And I, and I want to be careful because I think many theologians and scholars come to this text and they want to immediately limit and restrain the promise that's given here to us. I think we can ask God about absolutely everything. You can ask him for a good parking spot when you head to Safeway. You can do that. At the same time, I think it's important where this text is surfacing, right? We're always in danger in the church of ripping texts out and putting them on coffee cups and t-shirts. And then we forget the context of the scripture. And I think the context here is important. Jesus informs us about the asking and the seeking and the knocking by where he gives these commands, namely in the midst of this entire teaching on the Christian life. In other words, I think Jesus is saying, I want you to keep on asking for this kind of life. I want you to keep on asking for these virtues, to love those around you, to shine as a light, to turn the other cheek, to not lust after a woman, to not be angry, and on and on and on. Because if you build your life on these things, you will never fail, and you will be happy, and you will have joy. So don't ask for lesser things. Take time and ask for these greater things. This is what you must keep asking for. And then he says, keep on seeking, and what? You will find, to which we should all say, keep on seeking for what? Jesus. And actually, I think it's a keep on seeking for who. Paul Miller, in his book, A Praying Life, you know, one of the things that you might do to ask God about what you would do in response to any one of these particular sermons is, how should I study this further? So I'm going to try and give you a book recommendation every week, because I love books. And so Paul Miller, you must buy Paul Miller's book, A Praying life. He talks about this in the life of Jesus, how prayer functioned in his life, how Jesus was shaped by prayer. And we need to steal a bit from verses 9 to 11 to see that for Jesus, he talked about God as Father. So you see, what we are, when we're seeking, that should be shaped by our identity. We are disciples of Jesus, but even more importantly, we are children of the same Father, and Jesus in his own life understood what that meant. Listen to Paul Miller. Whenever Jesus starts talking about his relationship with his divine Father, he becomes childlike, very dependent. The Son of God can do nothing of his own accord, he says in John 5, 19. I can do nothing on my own, he says in John 5, 30. I do nothing on my own authority, but I speak just as my Father taught me, John 8, 28. The Father who sent me has himself given me what to say and what to speak, John 12, 49. Only a child says, I only do what I see my Father doing. When Jesus tells us elsewhere to become like little children... And we're going to get to that in a moment. Do you see? He isn't telling us to do anything that he isn't already doing. He comes to his father. Have you ever thought about that that way? About Jesus that way? It's hard to think about King Jesus, mighty King Jesus, as being childlike and dependent, isn't it? But those are the words that he said. It's the way he lived his life. One could say that Jesus was the most dependent human being that ever lived on the face of the earth because what was required of his life was not required of any other human who ever lived. And he understood that 
You see, Jesus knew that he needed to live a perfect life or his sacrifice wouldn't accomplish what it needed to. And he knew that the only way that he was going to be able to do that, to live the very life that he's preaching, was to be dependent upon God and to pray and to pray and to pray and to pray and to talk with his Father. When you read through the Gospels, you cannot miss Jesus constantly seeking out his Father, constantly talking to his Father because Jesus knew that he could not do life without talking to God. And so I ask you, if Jesus couldn't do life without talking to God, what in the world makes us think that we can? (laughs) If Jesus was the most dependent human being who ever lived, what in the world makes us think that we shouldn't try and follow in those exact same footsteps of dependency? Do you feel this morning at a spiritually low ebb? Do you see a gap between the life that you are living as a disciple of Jesus and the life described in the Sermon on the Mount, the life held out to you as kingdom living? Does your life lack joy? Might it be that the weakness of your walk is due to the feebleness of your praying? Maybe together we can be inspired by the life of our king, the way that he lived it. Maybe we could be tempted by the great reward that he is offering when we obey these three commands. You see it in verse 8. For everyone who keeps on asking, receives. And to the one who keeps on seeking, finds. And to the one who keeps on knocking, it will be opened. He doesn't give us a timeline. I wish he did. Sometimes we have to ask a lot. Sometimes we need to seek for a while. Sometimes we need to get calluses on our knuckles. But he will answer. Praise Jesus. So that's the first thing. Prayer is persistent. But that isn't enough. Part of the reason that you may not be talking to God is because you may be missing out on the most important aspect of prayer, namely that prayer is relational. I love that Jesus, at the same time that he's giving us the commands and he's kind of giving us the nature and the mechanics and the energy of prayer in its persistency, he also gives us the quality and the nature of prayer. Because if it was just kind of asking, seeking, and knocking, it would be kind of empty, frankly. If it wasn't also like had a quality of relationship. And it's not just any relationship that Jesus presents to us, but the relationship of a child and a father. Verse nine, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Again, Paul Miller. Let's do a quick analysis on how little children ask. What do they ask for? Everything and anything, right? Little kids, this is what they do. They ask for anything and everything. They see an advertisement on Disneyland, what do they want to do? Dad, can we go to Disneyland? How often do little children ask? How often? Remember little kids? If you had kids, how often? Repeatedly. Why? 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 
Why? Over and over and over again, like the woman with the judge, they wear us out. Any parents out there just give up because they just kept asking? Like you didn't want to give it to them, but you're like, enough. Just leave me alone. How do little children ask without guile? They just say what's on their minds. They often have no awareness of what is appropriate or inappropriate. Right? We could look at some of our kids and say, you say way too many inappropriate things. Do you see that it is no mistake that Jesus brings up this metaphor of a child asking his father for something? He wants to remind us and firmly plant in our minds the relationship that we have as his disciples. Namely, we are still children. And children have fathers. And this father is perfect. Jesus asks you to consider, would an earthly father give a child a brown-colored dinner bun-shaped stone if he asked, if his child asked him for warm, yummy bread? Would an earthly father give a scaly short serpent if she asked for a delightful, flaky, sautéed in lemon butter on the grill piece of salmon? Of course not. An earthly father wouldn't do that. And if that is true, of a parent like yourself who is evil, imperfect, flawed, and you still know how to give good gifts to your kids, like yummy bread and salmon from the grill, how much more will your Father in heaven, your divine Father, your perfect Father, your no darkness in Him at all, Father, give good gifts to those who ask Him? You must not miss or pass over this metaphor. It is so important. J.I. Packer says, if we do not first understand God as Father, we do not understand the Christian life. What it looks like to interact with the God of the universe as Father. If you are here as a parent and your kids are older now and maybe they're out of the house, I want to take you back to when they were really little. Remember how they came to you? Like that moment when you've got company over and they walk out of the kitchen and the beautiful chocolate cake that you had made for dessert to serve to these people that you were trying to impress was plastered all over their body? hair standing up with chocolate frosting and their nose is running and they're just beaming with a big smile on their face and they ask, Mommy, can I have a cup of milk? (laughs) Kids don't care. They come messy. They come as they are. They don't feel like they have to get cleaned up before they come to us as their parents when they're little. And sadly... I have learned that something happens to us as we get older. We somehow start to feel, right, that we have to put on airs. We somehow start to feel that we have to try and be or at least project something or someone that we are not. We do it in so many of our relationships, even in the closest of our relationships. And have you noticed how our kids pick up on that trait in us as they start to get older, how they change I think because they're watching us. I noticed as my kids got older that I had to correct this in them. 
You know how you can tell that something is wrong with your kids and they're not coming to you? Like you know that there is something that's bothering them and they're not telling you, they're not opening up, they're not letting you in. Somehow they too have started believing that they need to be something or someone that they're not and that they have failed and so they need to fake it in front of you. That I somehow as their father now expect that they have to have their lives all together because they're older. Well, you're 15 now. You know how to live perfectly. That they can't come to me with those problems anymore. That they can't come messy And I've had these really beautiful conversations with my kids to not be afraid. You don't, you don't have to make believe with me. I'm your dad and I love you and I always will. So whatever is wrong, it's okay. We can handle it together. Just come, talk to me, please, tell me. And I'm just... I'm just an earthly father. I'm evil. Friend, Jesus has placed a big calling on us, but that's why he's given us an even bigger promise. You have the kind of father that is saying to you, my dear child, don't try to be something that you're not. Don't try to be spiritual. Spiritual. Don't try to get the words just right. You don't have to come and clean up your act or fix yourself up to come to me. Come messy. The Father says to you, listen, I understand that you're weary and heavy laden. That's why I said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Come to me with your distracted thoughts, your wandering mind, your pile of problems, and your crushing need. Come to me with your runny nose and your dirty face and your disheveled appearance. Come and sit down and just talk with me, please. Just talk. Tell me what's on your mind. I am here for all the things in your life to then give you what you need. That is what Jesus has promised you. Our Father will give good things to those who ask Him. He will give good things to those who ask Him because He's a good, good Father. Worship team, would you come up? This is how to live. It's to come to Him with your crushing need. Let me pray for you in that regard. Father, we've seen here this morning from your son Jesus that there is no end to the amount of requests that we can have before you. There isn't some quota that you have for us. You, you don't respond saying, it, it's been too many times. You're out this week. Wait till next week. But you tell us to come, to never give up, to keep on asking and keep on seeking and keep on knocking. And you tell us that you relate to us as a father who loves his child. 
So I pray now, talking with you right here now, Father, on behalf of these people in front of me and on a live stream, help them to see how good you are and how much you love them and how ready and willing you are to hear what they have to say. In Jesus' name.